A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. Hi there, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. This time we are sitting down once again with Amanda Slavin, co-founder of Catalyst Creative. Amanda is all about engagement, and I thought it might be interesting to chat about that in the wake of COVID-19. Plus, we'll dig into a lot of other stuff too. Amanda, welcome back. It's great to have you here. Thank you. I'm honored to always be chatting with you, and I love where the conversation goes when we when we get on a call. <laughs> It's always an adventure. Just for, for those who didn't hear it, we were talking for like seven or eight minutes, and I probably should have recorded it. But anyway, that was entertaining, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. So first of all, since we last spoke, which I think you and I spoke in maybe December of last year, and you had a baby in January. You became a mommy. How has that been? Yeah, I think you might have been one of the last conversations I had before I became a mom. So definitely a lot has changed. I think a lot would have changed for me anyway, without a global pandemic in terms of pregnancy and and having a baby. And for, for me, I was induced because I'm type one diabetic and I knew the date was coming. And so a lot of my identity is pulled from work. And for me, for the past eight years, you know, my entire life, my baby has been catalyst, uh, you know, my company. And so I had this date that I knew everything was going to shift and change. And, and you really can't be prepared for it. You know, you could right. read all the books and you can you could do all the things, but at the end of the day, you're not actually prepared until your child comes and then tells you all the plans you made are so funny. <laughs> you're so funny that you thought that was going to go like that. But, you know, what ended up happening was because he was born January 8th, I really had quite a bit of time. The last two months of pregnancy and then the two months of him really coming into this into this world, I had some time and energy. I mean, not really. I was barely sleeping, but I my entire identity was deconstructed and kind of put back together. And so by the time COVID hit, I had already kind of experienced a lot of these identity shifts that then people were experiencing because I had lost a lot of my quote unquote freedom, my carefree attitude. There's a great article I read that once you become a parent, there's no such thing as being carefree ever again. And so it was just a really big gift. And I can certainly speak to what it's like to have a child during COVID. But I think just having a child in general was 
one of the only things in my entire life to slow me down and to also remind me that I have absolutely no control over, over plans. You know, I can try and try and try to be in control of every aspect of my life, but at the end of the day, there, you have to surrender. So that's been the lesson. That's been the gift. And he's the best teacher in the entire world. And how old is he? Nine months, you said? He's nine months going on like nine million years. He's like so wise. And, you know, I always feel as I was a teacher, as I think we talked about in the last session. um, And I just feel that children are so much smarter than us because they're not tainted by all of the things that they're supposed to do and say. And so just watching him and witnessing him and he's so resilient and so adaptable. We had to leave New York City very early on when there were nine cases. We went to multiple Airbnbs and then we ended up moving out of that house for good. And then we went to live with my family and now we're in a different location. And he just, you know, I think we were so worried that he wasn't going to be okay with it and he was going to be, you know, upset. And it's like, we just project all of the experiences and feelings that we feel onto others. And so he's fine. I'm the one that's crazy. So I think that's been, that's been also (laughs) a gift in itself is to really learn from him and say like, he has no idea what's going on. He's just happy to be with the people he cares about and he loves. And and that's a reminder in itself. Yeah. That's, it's an experience just having a child. And then you add all the complications of this year and uh, wow. (laughs) So let's talk about that. Having a child changes you, and COVID has changed all of us. So what has the seven last seven months or so been like for you in Catalyst Creative? So after eight weeks, you know, I was in labor for about 24 hours and had a C-section. I After eight weeks, that's when the pandemic kind of, you know, hit. And that's when we left, uh, you know, the home that we designed and created for our child. And that's when I came back to work very slowly, but surely. And it was really, you know, 60% of our revenue comes from live events. And so at that time I had, I was still CEO. And actually, I don't even know if you're familiar with this, but I transitioned out of CEO. I'm now chairperson of the board. uh, And I'll kind of talk a bit about that. But I ended up coming back and really figuring out what role could I play with still ensuring that I had set the boundaries that I needed in order to be able to be present with my child. And again, he was eight weeks old. And so I came back and really spearheaded a lot of the business development efforts and came up with a lot of offerings that we were able to design very, very quickly. The thing about Catalyst, you know, think about any startup that has survived and thrived over eight years is you are very, very quick to adapt. You're very resilient and you pivot very quickly. So we've had to pivot so many times before. So we moved very, very quickly. And Robert, who's now the CEO and my partner in the company, he decided, you know, he came to me and said, like, why did we start this to begin with? Like, let's go back to that I talked about my book a long time ago, you know, the seventh level. What is our seventh level? What are our personal values and beliefs? Why did we set out to create this company? And it was to design experiences that built community and inspired and educated. And so we decided to create a series that was called Coffee Chat with Catalyst. And every week we created these experiences where we were bringing in a lot of different thought leaders and all these different topics. And we were just for free giving out that content to be able to just help educate people on the questions that they had during this very 
very, very, very uncertain experience. And in that same process, we decided to design these digital experiences that allowed for brands not to sell, but to communicate their values in a compelling, inspiring way. Because the first two months of the pandemic, people were very allergic to brands just doing business as usual. But they were also very allergic to brands sending out an email and saying, oh, we're there for you. When a lot of customers were like, what does that even mean? What are you talking about? You're there for us. Tell us how you're there for us. And so we started to design these digital experiences that were bringing people together, asking them a primary question that would open up the conversation around what the brand actually believed in. And they were all strangers, these individuals. We would send them kind of a box, like an interactive box, whether it was cocktails or a dinner kit or whatever it may be. And then from that experience, we were designing content digital content that we were then leveraging to promote what that brand stood for. And we did, you know, four of those within a very short period of time. And then I actually raised money for the company (laughs) during the pandemic and was then- That is impressive. Yeah, it was crazy. And then ended up transitioning out to become chairperson so that I could think more strategically into the future and allow for those within the organization to step into the roles they were made to step into. But that took quite a bit of- thinking and quite a bit of time prior to that very rush decision. It was about a year of being able to be really intentional. And then once COVID hit, it kind of put everything into perspective so that we were able to move very quickly. You've kind of answered this in a way, this next question, but I want to drill down a bit further into it. Has COVID-19 changed engagement for your clients? I guess on both sides, has it changed the way you engage with your clients? And has it changed the way your clients are trying to engage with their customers? Mm, So much. I mean, I wrote Seventh Level, released it in October. And the entire book, as you know, is about brands going that extra mile to listen to their customers, to ensure that they are doing something more than just selling, to raise the standards of what it means to be a a brand, and to raise the standards of what it means to have a customer and a relationship with that customer. And what happened with COVID is that it really put into perspective what it meant for brands to listen to their actual customer and then show up for them. As I was saying before, a lot of customers were allergic to that kind of, oh, you know, that email that you receive from every single brand that you've ever <laughs> I've talked with. about that so many times in the last few months on this podcast is that reflexive email that we all got on March 22nd. Yes. You know, it was... The first one was like, oh, well, this is nice. And then the second one was like, well, this is the same email, but from a different company. And it just never ended. It was it was the height of insincerity. Exactly. And inauthenticity, you know, that's something in marketing we always talk about is authenticity. And to me, that is doing the work. You know, there's these seven levels and people think they can just jump from, okay, these customers have been disengaged level one, and now we're going to bring them to the seventh level where their personal values and beliefs align with us. And they're going to feel like, oh my God, you get me because you sent me this random email about being there for me. And what happened was a lot of companies started to see level two of those seven levels is unsystematic engagement. When you're confused by the messaging, a lot of customers were confused by the messaging. They were receiving these random emails from companies they haven't interacted with in years. And they were keeping, they kept at this very low level of engagement where they were like, I don't get it. Like this doesn't even make any sense to me. And so what a lot of brands had to do is they had to dig deep and they had to say, okay, 
we actually have to go back to what we stand for. We actually have to go back to what we believe in. We can't just send these emails that are, you know, these blanket statements and forget about, just, you know, COVID was the beginning, but then systemic racism has always been a part of our workplace, yeah. but it was yeah. amplified in a massive way. And not to mention, we weren't then in, we were in these, in our homes and we were dealing, we were seeing and witnessing these things. And we didn't even actually have spaces where we could interact with individuals based on this. We were kind of alone in these silos talking to each other through social media, which is one of the biggest amplifiers of confused messaging. And so companies over the past seven months, such an ironic number, you know, seven, over the past seven months have really had to walk the walk. And they have really had to change the way that they are thinking about their messaging and thinking about when they say something they have to follow through because customers don't have as much income in order to be able to spend fervishly without thinking. That's the first thing. The time of customers is so different now. It's spread so, so, so thin in terms of digital because all we're doing is we're online all day long. And so the way that our time in terms of our time is actually our greatest resource, especially when we don't have the money <laughs> to be able right. to spend. And so I think it really... COVID has broken down every system that has not possibly served us. And it's really forcing businesses, the businesses that are going to survive and to thrive, to rethink everything from the way that they're treating their internal customers, their employees, to the way that they're then communicating and engaging, garnering the attention and connection of their external customers. So I think it's changed everything. And I would say that the seventh level kind of predicted this, which is cool. In a, yeah. in a crazy way. Yeah. It is funny how what companies do now has to be genuine. Yes. They can't just say your call is important to us anymore. They actually have to behave that way. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think those the companies that get it right in 2020 will be the ones in 2021 and 2022 that thrive. Yeah, I think with diversity and inclusion right now, we're going to see the companies that are, again, as you kind of mentioned, that authenticity, that genuine, the genuine actions behind the words. That is something that, not to mention, again, obviously COVID and people getting sick and their family members getting sick and their family members losing their jobs and them losing their jobs. It's a very volatile environment right now for so many people in the world. And then you add the fact and the notion that lots of people have been experiencing so this tumultuous, volatile behavior within the workplace, but it's kind of been swept under the rug. And so I'm really interested in what companies are doing. Everyone put their Black Lives Matter commenting and diatribe and mantras up during what happened with George Floyd. And now I'm really interested to see that they're going to put their money where their mouth is. And the same thing goes for creating culture within a workplace. A lot of companies have these great offices and ping pong tables and like cereal bars. Um, But now this is when they really need to show up for their team. They really need to ask what's going on in their lives and actually listen and care and be able to ensure that they are creating an emotionally safe, psychologically safe workplace and, you know, space for their 
their employees. And the other thing about that is that you can't actually tell what's going on in someone's life because you're not seeing their body language. You're not interacting with them on a day-to-day basis. So you have to go above and beyond to be a human when you're sitting in front, behind a computer. You have to really f- almost force these interactions at first in order to create an environment where people even feel like they can speak up about what they're feeling and experiencing in the workplace. So, you know, I'm really interested over the next year to see that companies are putting their money where their mouth is. And I do believe that at this point of time, people are so fed up. We've been eating such so much junk on social media. We've been, cons- you know, we're called consumers. We've been consuming so much junk. It's made us sick. And so we now need to think differently about what we're feeding to these, like all the words that we use, you know, it's like the mini feed. That's like what it was called, or, you know, like the Facebook feed, the LinkedIn feed, you know, what yeah. we're feeding our customers. And I think that's hopefully going to be a positive that comes out of this entire mad year. Yeah. It's like a big sugar high. Mm -hmm. Everybody's coming down from, (laughs) but I do think I'm privileged to work with a couple of really big companies and I've had a long career and I look back on what it was like to work for a big company back in the 1990s where your personal life was of no concern to anybody in the company, you know, your friends, sure, but people in authority didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Today, a couple of my clients, that is a big issue within these companies. Yes. That they want to ensure that their employees are safe, are reasonably happy, and content in their work environment, which for most of them is still at home. And that to me is having a career that spans, you know, 30 plus years. That to me is that's like a major earthquake in corporate America. It's a big change. Mm, Well, I think that this has been happening when millennials entered the workplace. There was this huge generational gap between what millennials are looking for from a workplace. I I gave a talk a while ago at Inbound about this, and it was the fact that my father worked for my company for a few years. I wanted to have this different perspective other than just millennials because we work with a lot of legacy brands and nonprofits. I wanted to ensure that we weren't just coming in and talking until people's faces turned blue. We wanted to make sure that we were listening as well, and we had different perspectives in that way. And so what... I really learned from my father was that when he was on Wall Street, when he was working, he worked and then he came home and he left work at work and he came home and he was at home with his family. And there was separation between work and life. And once, you know, smartphones were prevalent and ubiquitous, we don't really know what it means to have that separation because while it's unbelievable that we can work anywhere, it's completely crazy that we can work anywhere. And it's really, really important that we set up boundaries for ourselves in order to be able to ensure that we have this self, we have this self outside of work. And then that self, but we can then bring that self to work. And I think what's happened is we've been a remote company. We've been a remote agency doing live experiences for eight years. So we made that choice. Robert and I made that choice. We came from companies that were very, very strict. You know, I couldn't even leave for a lunch. I was just trapped at my desk for like 10 hours a day. 
And we decided we wanted to create a culture that allowed for people to have lives and then bring those lives into workplace. But what happened with COVID is that a lot of these businesses that were running and operating in this old school way, because those who are running the organizations came from this history of I have work and I have life and those are separate, were now faced with these situations and circumstances where people were working from home. And so their home was right in the forefront of their work. And, you know, their children were screaming in their background and their dogs were barking. And, you know, it was, you couldn't ignore the fact that work and life were so intertwined. And so then these companies realized that it was about their bottom line. And that's why I recoined that ROI just instead of return investment as ripple of impact, because I don't think a lot of these things that we consider soft skills, like empathy and compassion and creating a nurturing environment, and even an environment where we love the people that we work with are soft. I think those are integral to building an organization that's sustainable. And so I think that now those individuals at these legacy companies are saying, oh, wait a second. This isn't like some cute thing that millennials are asking for in the workplace because they were over-the-top nurtured (laughs) from when they were babies. This is something that is instrumental to building a successful business with diverse perspectives and thoughts because that's also who our customer is. So that is, again, I think a positive that has come out of this is that big businesses have realized that creating a culture where every voice, every person feels brave enough and safe enough to share is number one priority, not an afterthought. Yeah. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Someone said to me the other day that they thought that the promise of capitalism can be realized because companies are the ones who are pushing some of this social change now. That the power of the market is something that, you know, is looked on as kind of BS, right? But if companies, you know, some big Fortune 50 companies in the world are actually signing on to this and helping to move the needle, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, listen, we, particularly in America, prioritize wealth and money as the be-all, end-all. And everyone could say something different, but that is my perspective, is that is what we worship. And not to get political, but we see in the people we've chosen... (laughs) Yeah, like, I, don't yeah know. Uh, no, I, I, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. Man, there are so many more important things in life than money. Yes. But it gets headline coverage every day. Exactly. And so if that is the thing that is running so much of our lives, and we, we don't even realize, I, I don't think how much it's running. The systems that we've designed for you know ourselves, again, I'm talking about within America, even within the education system, there's a lot of systems or healthcare system, we're seeing a lot of systems crumble before our eyes. And we're seeing the difference and the distance between those who have the means and those who do not. Because as much as COVID is a level setter, you know, where yes, anyone and everyone can get it, we see the 
ramifications of what it looks like when you don't have the means to take care of yourself. And so I think that the only way, and that's where when I was writing the seventh level, I went back and forth with the editor around should I write this about just business or should I make this more of a book that can be applied to every aspect of your life? Because it really can be applied to any type of relationship building. And I chose to keep it focused on business because I said most of our lives are spent at work. And so for better or for worse. And so if we can start there and we can change work, the microcosm of what is really in our entire lives, then it will seep into other aspects of our lives without even realizing. And, you know, a friend of mine, she is an amazing leader. Her name is Ashoke Abalu. She always quotes Ru- um, Rumi around this idea of this, I'm going to, I'm going to totally butcher it. Uh, it's around, and I, I actually think I'm sounding so completely uneducated right now. It's Khalil Gibran. She quotes a lot of poets, um, but Khalil yeah. Gibran for this specific situation. And it's around the fact that work is love made visible. And that's the way that she thinks about work. And so that is to me an amazing opportunity to think about work differently. If we're spending all of our lives working to be of service. You know, I'm in the service industry. We are a service provider. Let's look at that word to be of service to something. Shouldn't we enjoy it? Shouldn't we feel like our best selves in it? Shouldn't we feel comfortable and confident to be able to connect with people from our truest place? And, you know, again, I think this sounds very, you know, kind of like a a little bit pie in the sky and a little bit like hippie. But for me, it goes back to being a teacher and seeing that my students, when they were more highly engaged, when they felt safe in the classroom, when they felt seen and heard, they were more highly achieving. They did better on their tests. They excelled. And so it's actually more about the bottom line and capitalism than it is about that kind of gooey, feel good, we need to kumbaya, make everyone feel great about themselves. It's actually yes, we should do that because we're human beings and we want to connect with them, but let's do that because it's also going to help our businesses. Like it's not separate. Yeah. Think back to Red Auerbach, the great uh, Celtics coach, and he integrated the Celtics back in the 1950s and he did it because he wanted to win. And for very simple reasons, we can change the world because not just because we want to make it a better world, but because We want to do well for each other. Exactly. I always used to say when I first started Catalyst, you know, doing well and doing good are not mutually exclusive. And it's, you know, I think so often people think, and this is probably eight years ago when the company started more so than it is today, but it was always this idea of, okay, good means corporate social responsibility and good means this segmented arm of our business. And that's what that looks like. And to me, I the reason why we had this term brand acupuncture is because a lot of companies thought that they had a problem with their marketing. They thought they had a problem with their website. They thought they had a problem with Instagram. But when you dug deeper, you know, acupuncture identifies that very specific pain point and you think there's a problem with one thing and what ends up happening is you really identify the underlying problem that's actually causing the problem on the surface. And so that's what I think is happening right now is we're digging much deeper than we ever would because we have to, to survive. And that's a whole different playing field than I think we've ever had before is that every business, some businesses are flourishing for sure, but I would say that every business has to at least examine what 
they have thought was working, but is not going to continue to work over the next seven months, seven years, 70 years to, in order for them to continue to thrive. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about creative. And have you seen any kind of difference in creative through 2020 because of COVID and social unrest? And your company has been remote, but maybe your clients haven't all been remote and now they're remote. Has remote work changed the nature of that? Yes. None of our clients have ever been remote because they're these, again, these legacy brands. So, wow, has it changed everything for them, not as much for us, but I will say for the creative, you know, I think two things. One of my friends is this unbelievable woman. Her name is Ivy Ross, and she is the head of design for Google hardware. She designed the Google home. And she once said to me that restriction provides an opportunity for creativity. And so what I have seen and witnessed during the past seven months is that people had to learn how to get so creative with all of these restrictions. And it's really created unbelievable, beautiful content. I, Apple put something out. It was an experience of working from home. It was like, I don't know if you saw it. It was this, it was these characters, like these actors. They had done one before COVID. You saw it with the, okay. It was beautiful and it was powerful and it was hysterical and you related to it. And I just absolutely loved that. I felt so, I actually didn't even, I learned about the tools that Apple had and I started using those tools and applied them to my own life. And so to me, that was an amazing example of using this restriction as an opportunity. I think that for what's going on with civil unrest and systemic racism within our workplaces and in our world is that a lot of brands became very performative. There was a whole article about how a big agency was looking to hire another friend of mine. Her name is Chantal Martin. She's an unbelievable artist and she's black and they wanted to hire her for some big brand, but it had to be in this time frame that was, you know, where Black Lives Matter was unbelievably relevant. And she ended up being a big article because that is the opposite of what we need to be doing. And they were called out for it and they were put on blast for it. And I think, again, that's not acceptable. It never was, but more than ever, it's going to be amplified if you're doing something for yourself. I think right now we all have to think about how can we be of service to those who we are have we've always supposed to have been of service to. The customers that we work with, we're supposed to provide them something, offer them something. Those are the words we use. And so what does that look like? And I think as it pertains to creative, there's a lot more opportunities for us to include more in terms of, again, with what happened with George Floyd, a lot of diverse voices that have not been heard and have not been amplified are now being given a platform to be able to share. And it's created all of these new ways of thinking, of being, and of connecting. As it pertains to remote work, I read this amazing article, New York Times did an article recently on on Black LinkedIn and how a lot of Black employees are showing up in a way where they didn't actually feel safe before to share what their real selves, their true selves. And now they're coming onto LinkedIn and they're sharing who they are and the way that they feel represents them. All different individuals in the way that they're showing up to quote unquote work on this LinkedIn on a work platform. And I think that as it pertains to remote work, the aspects that have transformed businesses, so there's quite a few things. We actually did a whole, took the seventh level and applied it to culture building training, all for remote work. And what we did is we broke out each and every level and we 
taught and trained what it looked like to be able to ensure that you were engaging your team at these highest levels of engagement. And one of the most important levels, I'll talk about actually two of the most important levels, and I could share a Forbes article within the link to your audience after, but level two on systematic engagement, as I mentioned before, is when you're confused by the messaging. People have never been more confused in their entire lives now that they're working remotely. They thought they could just take their current work at an office structure and apply it to their work from home environment. And what has happened is there are so many Slack messages and so many emails <laughs> and so many Google Drive comments and so many people not knowing who is supposed to move what forward and when. And the problem is, is that people think that once they get the right tools, they're set. But that's do you not- Do you ever run into the fact that you think, I know someone sent me something. Oh, my gosh. Was it an email? Was it in text? <laughs> Was it in Skype? Was it in Slack? Was it in Teams? Was it in Zoom? <laughs> And you think, well, I I just don't know where it was, you know. Was it a carrier pigeon? Like, yes, exactly. And so, and I'll talk about that in actually a second, because the confused by the messaging is when it's the why, how, and when you use the tools. So for Slack, well, we made up roles again years ago that we've been teaching to teams where when someone is messaging you, let's just call it five or more times on Slack, and you have to keep going back and forth, just pick up the phone and call them. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's a rule. Pick up the phone and we share. Although I will say I got a call about a week ago early in the morning and I talked to the person. It was like 6 a.m. And it was an important call. And then I thought, oh, I got to call that person back. And I looked at my phone and I was like, well, there's no record of the call. And then I realized it came through Facebook. So it's another one of those things where oh my gosh. you're like, okay, which medium did this come through? Yes. That is the, well, let's talk about level three, which is frustrated engagement. It's when you want to engage, but you're distracted. And what you're talking about is that level because what, and that's where it's again about over communicating, particularly with those who you can and saying, when you call me, this is how I would like for you to call me. When you reach out to me, this is how I need you to reach out to me. And when on Slack, if you're sending me five Slack messages, I'm picking up the phone and calling you. And we share all of our calendars so we know what is going on in each of our lives. And so we can pick up the phone and call each other. We've created that culture. But as it pertains to all of these tools, why are you using Slack? And for what are you using Slack? Same thing with Google Drive. When do you use Google Drive? How do you use Google Drive? I think that's been the biggest change for a lot of companies is they just assume that if they have all of the the right tools in place, they're good to go. But it's so much deeper than that. And the other thing that we've really talked to teams about is, again, creating a culture where people feel like they can speak up in meetings because so many people hide behind their computer. And so a lot of times I always give the example when a leader says, does anyone have any questions on a Zoom call? <laughs> and what Most happens? people are like, no, I just want to get off the call. <laughs> exactly. Radio silence. So we create experiences where we actually, for us, we have check-in rounds, we have reaction rounds, we have prompts that allow for people to give some type of response, even if it's a very small response. And we build off of those responses to create a culture where everyone feels like they can share. And what we do is a round robin approach where it's not as, it's not, you know, a lot of introverts don't want to be put on the spot, but it's simple tasks and simple questions to just get every single person in that meeting to say something. 
And again, it could be a one word answer, but the more you do that, it creates that dynamic and that culture where people feel like it's even okay to speak up because they're not used to these weird interactions where again, they're hiding behind their computer screen. So it's been very, very different for these organizations. But I do think that if you look at it in a methodical step-by-step process and an approach, and you don't just think we're going to put in Slack, we're going to call people on Facebook, we're going to WhatsApp them, then we're going to telegram them, then we're going to... It's like, (laughs) I think if you are really intentional with the way that you communicate, which I think we should have probably been all along, that this is an opportunity, not necessarily a pitfall. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to look a little bit into the future. I am, by nature, an optimist, and I think that the pandemic will end at some point. I don't know exactly when, but how do you think engagement will look as we emerge from this pandemic we find ourselves in now? I think, you know, during the pandemic, I started to reach out to people that I haven't spoken to in a really, really long time. And I actually have connected with more strangers and deeply during, like I I have gotten to those higher levels of engagement much faster than I think Mm. I would have before the pandemic for a few reasons that I've analyzed. One being that we, in terms of our time, yes, our time is different, but we aren't traveling as much. So we are, we do have more time for those that we do care about. And we are willing to go deeper because we're looking for that connection that we don't have through the intimacy of the relationships that we took for granted in a lot of ways. And so I think that people are willing to go further with people that they don't necessarily know because they're craving that deep connection. And so again, people that I haven't spoken to in years, people that I've just reached out to that I've wanted to speak to, they are so much more willing to be open to having conversations with me. And then I really have been coming from a place of, I'm not looking to sell anything. I'm not looking to have an agenda. I just really want to know who you are and, and what's going on in your life and what are you passionate about. And, and because again, I, I'm really craving that. I miss that. I miss community and I miss connection. And so I think what's going to happen post-COVID is I hope, at least at first, we don't take the things we took for granted for granted any longer. And I really hope that we remember the importance of, you know, I miss hugging. I think a lot of people have said this, they miss hugging. And it's the little things of when I have seen people have met my baby, I don't want them to touch him. And I just think of even these small moments where when you met someone, you're like, oh, give me your phone and I'll give you my number. You know, I think it's these little tiny interactions and experiences that are really the bedrock of connection. You know, these little moments that build in order to be able to build trust and connection and intimacy that we just don't have anymore in the same way. And so I hope, hope, hope that during the pandemic, which we don't know how long it's going to last, we start to really care more deeply about each other's well-being. And when we say, how are you? We don't just jump without even waiting to hear what the person has to say. So we actually want to know. And the other thing about that is I, I hope that once this is over, I guess, as we know it, I would hope that we are more intentional. We keep that intentionality with the way that we connect each other and we don't take anything for granted anymore. Because I know I did. I know I took a lot for granted that right now I'm looking back and just saying, oh my gosh, I so wish I could just go out to eat in my yeah. favorite restaurant and not have to think twice about it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think everybody yearns to do that, but I don't really want to do it right now. Yes. It's one thing to to have this uh, kind of yearning for the way things were or the way things might be. And then the irrational side of your brain says, well, yeah, but you can't do that right now. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's that again, which is really actually what we're talking about in terms of these safe, we're using the word safe, like these psychologically, emotionally, mentally safe spaces in terms of work is the same thing. It's like giving yourself permission to be, and also others giving others permission for people to feel safe enough to fully show up and not have that part of their brains saying, you're not safe here. And so you can't actually go all in. You can't fully bring yourself to work. You can't actually, you know, say what you were thinking. And so I think that's the opportunity is looking at words, the words that we're using and this idea of how in this world where a lot of us, our safety has been taken away. And for those, for a lot of people, they've never actually felt safe in, in a lot of environments. How is we, in terms of leaders, when we have control over those environments, how do we make the people that show up for us day in and day out feel as safe as possible? And also, how do we do the work on ourselves so that we can show up in that same way? So I think that's the opportunity here is to, to create safe spaces where people can connect and be able to feel as best as they can. The upshot I'm kind of left with from our discussion is that we're all human beings, right? And we need to treat each other like that. I think we forget, you know, I think especially now being on, I think of what happened with the man who was on a skateboard and was thinking, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's an insane story. Um, and made Fleetwood Mac on the top of the charts for the first time in I think like 30 years because he just, his truck broke down and he just got on his skateboard and was drinking cranberry juice and, you know, <laughs> just a great video. And, and just a great video that millions and millions of people connected with. And then he ended up being able to, you know, he was living in an RV. He had no water. He was taking showers next door and he now has money. People have donated to him. He's been able to get a, a new space and home and he's flourishing because of that human connection. I mean, it's unbelievable to me. He wasn't trying. He wasn't doing anything that was for anyone other than himself. He was just trying to enjoy his life and to make others, I think, feel that enjoyment just by being. And that to me is the opportunity here. It's not about the likes. This is what I said the last time yeah. we talked. It's not about the likes. It's not about the comments. It's not about the followers. All of those likes, comments, and followers are human beings. We have to remember the human being behind the computer screen. And we have to reach out to them and we have to ask them, how can I support you during this experience? Because if we don't, you don't know what you'll lose. Um, I think, again, it's, it's a huge opportunity. I am an optimist as well. I, you know, I'm a New Yorker and I'm raised by New Yorkers. So I'm bit of a realist, but, yeah. but I think I'm very optimistic in that this is going to shape our future for the better. And even if it looks a bit bleak right now, we're going to come out as better versions of ourselves in the long run. Well, that's a great way to wrap up. I really enjoyed this chat, Amanda. Thanks for joining me. Me too, always. You're just the best. I'm always here to talk with you. Thank you so much. All right, that does it for this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Reed Edwards, executive producer, writer, and host of Confessions of a Marketer. Shep Salau is my producer, helping put together the shows every week. Annalyn Timball is my assistant, and she helps with guest relations and getting everything scheduled just right. Thanks, Sheb and Annalyn. 
Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. Stay healthy and see you next time. Thank you.